I'd like for you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Colossians. I'm going to be preaching a few sermons from this little book. And I'm reading from the third chapter today. Uh, the text really is chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 4. But there are some verses in the context that um, need to be read that really uh, support or establish the the uh, theme or the direction where I'm headed today. And the first is the first chapter, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to get to chapter 3 in a minute, but... On our way to that neighborhood, we're going to look at verse 25, verses 25 through 27 of chapter 1. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The best translation of that is Christ in you is glory's hope for you. Now there is a mystery, the word is mysterion, and it means that which can only be known by divine revelation. There is a mystery that God has hidden from the ages, from the generations, a secret. And this now is an open secret, a revealed truth. And the revealed truth is that Christ comes to indwell every believer, Jew and Gentile. Now I know that you caught the difference in the revelation. In verse 26, he talks about the mystery, the mystery of the, uh, uh, of the ages. But in verse 27, he, he talks about the riches of the glory of the mystery. You see the difference? For most people understand that Christ indwells them at the point of their salvation, but not everybody understands the riches of that. You see what I'm saying? Not everybody knows the implication of that. Now, he may know that Christ indwells him, but his prayer is that he might understand the riches of that indwelling. For a person might have the information that Christ indwells him, and he responds to that kind of in a ho-hum way. And so Paul prays that we might understand the riches of His grace, because once that grips us, once it captures us, the riches of the glory of the mystery, we will not be able to have a ho-hum attitude anymore. I mean, the difference between a ho-hum life and a hallelujah life is at that point of understanding the mystery and the riches of that mystery, which is Christ in you. All right? Now the second passage is chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Him all that is Jesus, for in Him Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. Now I want to read that from the, from the Williams translation. For it is in Him that all the fullness of deity dwells, continues to live embodied, 
And through union with Him, you too are filled with it. Filled with what? Filled with the fullness of deity. Now that's a mind-boggler. Did you know that, that the fullness of deity can dwell in, bottle, in a human body? Well, it did. The fullness of deity dwelled in the human body of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is, this is the riches of the mystery that that same fullness of deity, fullness of deity, indwells a believer who is indwelled by Jesus Christ. Have you understood that yet? Now we come to chapter 3, to the text, verses 1 through 4. It says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Look at verse 3. It says, For you have died, and your life... I wish he'd make up his mind. I mean, how can you be dead and alive at the same time? Well, that's the secret. See. That's a fascinating word, isn't it? Secret. Does anybody here this morning doesn't like a secret? You ever notice when you tell a kid a secret, how their eyes just light up with excitement? You say, here, kid, come here, I want to tell you a secret. And while you're whispering in his ear, you can see his eyes just flash with excitement. And when he has a secret, he's the biggest kid on the block. I mean, he'll taunt his enemies and his friends. I've got a secret. I mean, secret is a fascinating word. I mean, when I first came to the Lord and I entered into the ministry, I wanted to know everything I could about Jesus. I want to know all I had in Christ. And I was a sucker for every book had the word secret in it, in the title. So if I went in a bookstore and I saw a book that said The Secret of Power, I'd buy that baby immediately. I mean, I was a sucker for that. The Secret of Power, The Secret of the Spirit's Fullness, The Secret of Prayer, the secret of witnessing. I bought all the books I could get had the word secret in it. Because I thought, you know, there must be some little secret key that you had to find to live the Spirit-filled life, the fullness of life. And frankly, I wasn't even measuring up to what I was preaching, you know. And I was always looking for... You know, I'd listen to these guys give testimonies about living in victory and living in the Spirit's fullness and living a triumphant life and, and all these wonderful testimonies. They just intimidated me. And I just thought, well, if I could just find a little key, there's got to be a little key, a formula that unlocks the door that makes that possible. And I was somewhat disappointed when I'd read those books and every one of them would come to the bottom line that the secret is Jesus Himself. I thought, well, you know, I had Jesus. I already had Him, you know. And I knew that He uh, was t had taken care of my past and He was going to take care of my future. But in this interim, we weren't getting along too well. And I thought, you know, can't you relate to this? Shake your head like, you can relate to this. I, I thought, well, you know, you've got to go beyond Jesus some way. And that somehow that if I can just find somebody who'll just give me this magic formula, this key, I'll elevate up to a new plateau. I mean, Jesus was elementary school. I was going to graduate beyond that and find the secret. And I was somewhat disappointed when I began to hear and read that Christ Himself is the secret. Charles Trumbull talks about that in his book, The Victory, Victory in Christ. He said he had the same kind of experience, and so he'd go to these conferences to find the secret. 
He said he went to one conference and he looked on the program and said that afternoon somebody was going to speak on the resources of the Christian life. He said, that's it. That's what I need. Resources of the Christian life. So he got there that afternoon, got him a good place, got him a pencil and some paper, got ready to take notes, and the guy got up and started talking. And he was somewhat shocked and temporarily disappointed when the man said, the resource of the Christian life is Christ himself, Christ in you. And A.B. Simpson, he thought, well now if I can... He's the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. He thought, if I could just hear Dwight L. Moody preach. Dwight L. Moody's got a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. If I could just hear Dwight L. Moody preach, he'd open the door for me and open open my eyes to how you live the Spirit-filled life, the fullness of victory. So he went to Moody's church. He got there early, got on the back seat, got ready for Moody to preach. The song leader came in early. And the song leader said, I'm going to teach everybody a new course I've written this week. He said, this is a new course, just two simple sentences. Everything is in Jesus, and Jesus is everything. A.B. Simpson turned to the guy sitting by him and said, what did he say? What were those words? And the man said, well, he said, everything is in Jesus, and Jesus is everything. And A.B. Simpson said, that's it. And he got up and left, never did even hear Moody preach. And he started going around the world with this slogan, Everything is in Jesus, and Jesus is everything. Tell the world as fast as you can. Now everybody has the same experience. The experience of wanting to know the secret of the fullness of the glory, of the riches of the glory of it. Stuart Briscoe said there are four stages of the Christian life. The first stage is, man, this is easy. I'll just go down there. The preacher says it's a free gift. and I'll go down and I'll take the free gift. That's, that's easy. Anybody can do that. A child can do that. He said the second stage is, man, this is difficult. This is harder than I thought. This is more difficult than I imagined. He said, I go to the third, you go to the third stage, and the third stage is, this is impossible. I mean, you can't forgive the, unf- the unforgiven. You can't turn the other cheek. You can't love like the Bible teaches you. That's impossible. Nobody can live a life like Jesus Christ lived. That's impossible. And then he said, I discovered, I discovered the riches of the fullness of the, of the, of the gospel, the mystery is Christ in you. You let Jesus be released in your life. And he said, I entered the fourth stage. Man, this is exciting. And what I want to talk about this morning is the exciting revelation, this this unfolding secret of the fullness of the glory of the mystery and what happens. Number one, when you make that discovery, you understand that the old life is gone. The old life is gone. Now Paul says in our text, you have died. That's a drastic statement. A guy told me one time about one of these after-death experiences he had, you know. He said he was in this deep coma and, and they, he was, you know, had absolutely no response. But he said, I could hear people talking. He was just as plain. They didn't think I could hear it. I was in this coma. He said, I could, I could hear people talking. He said, I remember one day the doctor came in and took my vital signs and he said, well, I think we've lost him. And he said, you talk about... Uh, frightening experience. Here I am kind of feeling like I'm outside of my body and I'm listening to everybody and I heard this doctor pronounce me dead. That's pretty drastic. Now I'm going to make a drastic statement this morning. You are dead. Now I didn't come to that conclusion when I looked into your faces 
You know, ten minutes into a sermon, you probably don't understand. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't come to that conclusion by looking at you. I came to that conclusion by what the Bible says, and the Bible says that everybody in this room is either dead in sin or dead to sin. For sin is the great killer. And sin always brings death, and that's a law that will never be broken. And so God said to Adam, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. And you say, well, he didn't die. I mean, he lived hundreds of years after that. Yes, he did die. Well, he's talking about spiritual death, which is a separation of the spirit soul from, from the Lord. And the only reason he died physically hundreds of years later or whenever it happened is because he died that day spiritually and he was cut off from his life source. True Blood says we live in a cut flower civilization. It may look alive and flourishing and beautiful, but it's dead because it has been cleaved from its rootage. What Paul is saying is that the moment you willfully and knowingly sin against God, you are cleaved from the rootage and you're dead. You're dead to God and you're dead to holiness and you're dead to the beauty of Christ and you're dead to spiritual appetites. J.H. Jowett said he got a letter from a man or a person. He said it was the most, it was the saddest letter he'd ever written. It was, he'd ever read. It was filled with despair and hopelessness and, and heartache. And he signed it with one word, thanatos, the Greek word for death. And that process goes on. Listen, Christian, every time you sin, you kill something. Some of you have killed your prayer life. Because you have, an, uh, you have given sin an uncontested place in your heart and the Lord will not hear you. And some of you have killed your witness because you have sin in your life. And some of you have killed your joy because you have sin in your life. And Paul says, but Paul says, some of you have died to sin. Now listen to this. I don't understand it. What Paul is saying is this, that when you place your faith, those who are in union with Jesus Christ, God takes that old life and that sin and nails it to a cross. So that in a real sense, are you listening? In a real sense, Gerald Tidwell, the old Gerald Tidwell, died 2,000 years ago. My file's closed. So when the devil, the great accuser, comes to God and says, well, listen, old Gerald Tidwell sinned February the 10th, 1990, God says, well, let me check the file. He said, that's impossible. Gerald Tidwell died AD 34. You say, I don't understand that. Neither do I. But as far as God is concerned, in union with Christ, He takes the old man and nails it to the cross, and that means that you died 2,000 years before you ever sinned. How can you be guilty of a sin if that's true? Old Mel Trotter, the derelict who stumbled all around the streets of Chicago, when his daughter died, he stole the shoes off her lifeless body and hocked them for another drink. He stumbled in one night to a rescue mission, found the Lord, became an evangelist, started the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Still exists. Some of you have been there. The song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, became his favorite song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He wrote this little chorus, God hath blotted them out. I'm happy, I'm glad, I'm free. God hath blotted them out. I'll check Isaiah and see. Chapter 44, verses 22 and 23 and now I can shout, for that means me. Buried in the ocean. 
drowned in an ocean of grace, removed as far as the east is from the west. You know what that means? I heard J.B. Macbeth explain that one time. He said, why, you know why God didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because you've got a south pole and a north pole. If you start traveling south, you're going to come to the south pole one day. If you keep traveling, you're going to go to the north pole. So north and south can meet. He said, you've never heard of a west pole, have you, or an east pole? Which means that every, whenever I start traveling east, I'll always be going east, said J.P. Macbeth. That means that I'll never meet up with my sin again. Hallelujah. The old life is gone. All right? That's the riches of the glory of the mystery. Second, not only is the old life gone, but the new life is guarded. He said, your life is hidden with Christ. That word hidden there is an interesting word. In the Greek, it means crypt. It's the word from which we get the word crypt or vault. It's like he puts your life in a safe. He puts it in a vault. He takes your life and he puts it in a place of safekeeping. You talk about security of the believer, and he's the only one who knows combination. He stands guard over it. Where is your life? Is it in your hip pocket so that Satan can pick it? Or is it you carry it around in your hand so you can lose it? No, your life, if you're saved, is way up there in God with Christ, where nobody can touch it. Way up there in a place of safekeeping. Now, he guards our life in several ways. One way is he guards it from falling. And so Jude says, Now unto him who is able to guard you from falling. Let me see if I can illustrate what that means. Suppose you're sitting out on a park bench and you see this little boy and his father coming down the street. And the little boy's kind of toddling along there with his dad and his dad kind of walking along there watching his son. His son stumbles and falls. And his dad reaches down, picks him up, dusts him off, kisses the hurt and kind of comforts him and consoles him. You're thinking to yourself, what an attentive father. Picks his son up, loves him and helps him get over his pain. While you're sitting there, another father comes along. His father's different. He's got his son by the hand. He's holding on that son not to pick him up after he falls, but to keep him from falling in the first place. Now listen to me carefully. This is the key. This is the, this is the riches of the mystery. Is that Jesus Christ not only indwells you to pick you up and forgive you when you've fallen or when you sin, He indwells you to keep you from falling in the first place. That's wonderful. And he guards you from failure. Remember that the book of Colossians deals with the sin problem, how to deal with the sin problem in this life. And in chapter 2, he, 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 he names three ways that we deal with the sin problem, most of us. One way is by religious performance. The way I live the Christian life, the way I'm going to learn how to grow is, and spiritually is just to you know, go through the religious performances. I mean, go to church and Sunday school and... Church training? I mean, get you a tendon, an attendance pin, a perfect attendance from, the, from your lapel down to your knees. I mean, go for all the right places. And then he said, some deal with the, with the Christian life, with, not just with religious performance, but with radical philosophy. If you find somebody that has this, you know, maybe can speak in a crystal cathedral and he has some philosophy of positive thinking that will help you live the Christian life, people will flock out there to get that. And they'll buy every tape he's made and every book he's written. And we'll 
we just run after these radical philosophies. And then he said, some deal with the Christian life in the third way with rigid prohibitions. And so in the second chapter, if you read, he says, you know, handle not, taste not, touch not. I did all of them, haven't you? I mean, I thought that the way that you lived a victorious life was measured by how much you went to church. Man, Sunday morning, Sunday night, training union, prayer meeting, revivals. Got me an attendance, perfect attendance pen that I nearly trip over. It was so long. Had so many years on it. And I thought the way you do it was get these radical philosophies. You know, I read everything I could get about how to psych myself up in living a Christian life. And I got into this rigid prohibition. I thought, I got me a rule book religion. And I thought the way you did it was, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with the girls that do. I had all the list of the prohibitions. Doesn't do any good, does it? I want you to look at verse 23 of chapter 2 and see, I want the person who understands that verse stand up and tell the rest of us what it means. Listen to it. It says, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. Now, who knows the meaning of that? That's okay. Let me read that from a living Bible. Are you listening? Look here. These rules may seem good. You got your rule book religion, you got your prohibitions, you got your, you got your performance, all that worked out. These rules may seem good, for rules of this kind require strong devotion and are humiliating and hard on the body. Amen. They wear you out. But they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. Amen to that. They only make him proud. You know what he's saying? He's saying you can get all these prohibitions and you can go all through all these religious ceremonies and festivals and Sabbaths and new moons and all that and you can can get all this philosophy and all that'll do for you is make you proud. That's what some of you are. I heard Calvin Miller tell about the people lined up for a church dinner, you know, and they were lined up to go through the line. This lady didn't smoke and she's real proud of that but a guy who was behind her was smoking. And she turned kind of a, in a huff, you know, and she said, where are you going to snuff out your cigarette in heaven? And he looked at her and said, in your coffee cup. <laughs> and, and so I, 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 get all these, I get all these rules and, and all these restrictions, all these restrictions and all these prohibitions, and all it did was make me proud that I wouldn't like the publican. Well, you say, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer, are you listening? I hope you're waiting for the answer. The answer is in verse 2 of chapter 3. Set your mind, set your affection on Jesus. That's the answer. Just fall in love with Jesus again. Just concentrate your life on knowing Jesus. That's Paul's, that's the riches of the mystery. Just fall in love with Christ. I had this family came to me one time and they were, their daughter was in love with this guy. A real creep. And, and they were afraid that he was going to mar- she was going to marry him and they was telling me, he said, now, we're just scared to death. They, they said, the more we talk against him, the more it drives her to him. I said, well, try something else. 
<laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I'd a lot of help. Try something else. And, and uh, about, about six months later, I noticed they'd broken up. And the family came, and they were so excited. And I said, well, what'd you do? And he said, well, she just met this other boy and fell in love with this. He's just the greatest. She just fell in love with him. And when she fell in love with him, she forgot all about the creep. Let me tell you how. This life, this life, this guarded life, how it comes about. You just fall in love with Jesus Christ and everything else doesn't seem important anymore. One last word, please. The secret of the riches of the glory of the mystery is not only that the old life is gone and the new life is guarded against falling and failure and forever, but third, the life that is to come is glorious. That's three. I'll just... The new life is glorious. And he said, in union with Christ, we share in His glory. We share in His glory. Now, the, the average Christian is not too much about the average Christian that's glorious. But when Christ explodes in me, and that's what verse 3 means, when He is released in me, when Christ is released in me. I share in His glory. Now glory is not heaven. I hate to tell you that. Glory is not heaven. Glory is everything that God is and everything you were meant to be before Satan messed you up. And what Paul is saying is this, that when I discover the mystery, the musturion, and Jesus Christ is released in me, then I share in what God is and what I was meant to be before Satan messed me up. The only thing that a Christian has to look forward to is glory. Let me ask you what you have to look forward to. You say, well, same old song, second verse. Get up and go to work, etc. Let me tell you something. The only thing a Christian has to look forward to is glory. And that makes dying inconsequential. Because Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if you fill in the blanks and you say, for me to live is business, to die is loss. For me to live is family, to die is loss. For me to live is pleasure, to die is loss. The only time a person can say that to die is gain is when that person has lived a life of the fullness of Christ. At the end of a Christ-filled life, he can say to die is gain because that just means more of Christ. See what I'm saying? I share in the glory. That's what i got to look forward to. Harry Cruz has written a book called The Biography of a Place. It's really the story of his growing up in Georgia. He was a poor boy. He's kind of a um, sharecropper, what we used to call him out in West Texas. Just, kind of just like almost a slave. 
And, and he tells about his boyhood life. He said that two of the most thrilling days of the year, the most exciting days of the year, were when the, when the Sears and Roebuck catalog came in the mail. You remember that, don't you? And you run down to the mailbox, and there that baby is. The spring, the summer issue of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. What excitement. You think you've had a lot of fun. He said they'd gather around their family and they'd get that Sears and Roebuck catalog and they'd look at all those pictures, you know, those nice dressed folks and suits and underwear and all that. He said, he said I got to noticing that the people in that Sears and Roebuck catalog were, the di- were different than the folks I knew. Because the folks I knew had something missing. Either a finger missing or a toe split, an ear gnawed off. And some of them had eyes that were kind of dimmed with blindness from a no, fence stable, you know, fence staple that came loose, you know, and hit them in the eye. And he said, if they weren't missing something, they had scars all over them, folks I knew. You know, scars from knives and, and barbed wire and fish hooks. And he said, I got, I got to look at those people. They were perfect. They had hair, you know. Tommy, they all had hair. And, and, and their hands and, their, you know, their arms were straight and their legs were straight and they looked happy. And he said, I, I think, oh, which is the real world here? The folks like in the Sears and Roebuck catalog or the folks I know? The real world, folks, is like Harry Cruz's world. And we're all imperfect. And we'll all have something missing. And we're all marked and scarred with the effect of sin. I mean, that's a fact. Let me tell you something. This life, when Christ is revealed from heaven, when we become like Him, it's the perfect life. It's glorious. And that's what i got to look forward to. And you say, well, how do I enter into that life? Two ways. Two ways. In order for you to enter into a life like that, Jesus must be present in your life. It's not enough to talk about Him. It's not enough to know about Him or read about Him. He must be present in your life. You say, well, how does He become present in my life? Behold, I stand, He said, at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open up, I'll come in to Him. I'll come in to Him. At the point of your faith, at the moment of your invitation, Jesus Christ comes in to make His home in you. Not only must He be present, He must be preeminent. You know what that means? It means that He must be Lord. Now God takes being God very seriously. And He takes the matter of who's sitting on the throne very seriously. And you'll not discover the riches of the fullness of the mystery until someday you're able to permit Him once and for all the throne Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll come to live in the life, the heart of the unbeliever today. And that you will make known the mystery, Christ in you. But I also pray that you'll help us who are already saved to discover the riches of the fullness of the glory of that mystery.
Christ to you. And I pray that if Jesus is present, we can make Him preeminent. For I ask in His name and for His sake. Look here. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat upon invitation this morning and come right here to the front of this audience and claim Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Invite Him to move into your life and take up residence there. Open up the door by faith to receive Jesus. By faith, accept Him into your life. I want to ask you to get up out of your seat this morning, Christians, and come here to this place and before this audience. Make Him preeminent in your life. Or maybe you need to come and join the church. Oh, to discover the secret of the riches of the mystery. Do it today. It's the best time you have to do it. While the Spirit of God is breathing upon this congregation, you do it. While we stand to sing, come, come.